Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Lisa Boucher, a registered nurse on a mission to bring greater awareness to alcohol use by women, leading to alcoholism. Lisa is deeply committed to educating the health profession as well. And now with her new role as an author, she is well on her path of accomplishing both these goals. Lisa Boucher has written Raising the Bottom, Making Mindful Choices in a Drinking Culture. It's honest. It's personal. It's filled with real-life experiences. We are sure to benefit from reading and embracing it. Let's meet Lisa to learn more. Lisa Boucher, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Good morning, Kate. Thank you for having me. I am just really so grateful because having you with us this morning is just such critically life-saving, life-changing, life-altering information that is uh, not often enough discussed. And here you are being so open and so passionate about conveying information about alcoholism, particularly in its effect on women with women in your great new book, Raising the Bottom, Making Mindful Choices in a Drinking Culture. So with all of that, thank you greatly, Lisa. You're welcome. It was a labor of love to write that because what I wanted to portray, Kate, in the book is there is such a stigma still with alcoholism and addiction and whatnot. And people tend to think that you have to hit these horribly low bottoms. You're the person on the six o'clock news who's crashing cars and going to jail and getting arrested. And that is not the face of alcoholism that I portrayed in the book. It's not where I was when I quit drinking. Um, just to give you a little background, I was raised with an alcoholic mother who did hit a low bottom. She was a registered nurse. My father was a businessman. And from the outside, the family looked as normal as any other. But her addiction and her alcoholism was devastating to the family. She started with um, Benzo's Valium, which was the first billion-dollar drug back in the 60s. So that is how she slid into a full-blown alcoholic later on. She was a social drinker for many years, and that's how it starts for the majority of people. We're social drinkers. We go out with friends and whatnot, and pretty soon, though, for far too many of us, it's grabbing you by the throat before you even know what hits you. And so I was able, because of my mother's low bottom, I was able to have a very high bottom. We call it high bottom because I quit in my late 20s before any consequences. And, and so that is my message. You don't have to destroy your health, your family, go to jail, crash your car, lose a bunch of jobs. Although I did get fired a few times um, when I was younger from waiting table type jobs. But, you know, we don't have to implode our lives completely. And so I noticed a progression with my drinking, and that's one of the hallmark signs. So if anyone's listening who just started out as a weekend drinker and now you're drinking Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, that's a progression. 
And pretty soon down the road, if you start out with you drink one night a week and you only have a few, and now you're drinking four nights a week and you're having three, four, or five drinks each night, you're, say, you're sliding into what could be alcohol dependence or alcoholism. So these are the things that we need to look at because statistically, 80% of alcoholics have families and they still have their jobs. So we need to reframe what alcoholism looks like. And in many ways, we have normalized it in our culture. And what is so wonderful about what you've just said and about Raising the Bottom, your book, is that you share these stories to show how it does cross all these kind of socioeconomic lines and affects way too many of us. Uh, and here we're talking specifically about women, but of course, m- all of this is affecting men as well. But women are different in the way it affects us. And, you know, one of the things kind of like jumping into the health issue, I didn't realize until reading your book that it alcohol is a known carcinogen. Yes, it is. Um, alcohol is in the same is in as a class one carcinogen in the same class as asbestos. So we've got to look at there's so many disconnects in our society. Let's start with the number of women that have breast cancer, the number of men that are getting um, throat cancer colon cancer, esophageal um, cancer, pancreatic cancer, colon cancer, if I didn't already say that, liver cancer. These cancers are specifically related to alcohol. And it's mind-blowing to me the disconnects in our society. So you'll go to a fundraising for the American Cancer Society, and what do they liberally serve? Alcohol, the very thing that's causing cancer, they're serving back at you because that's how our society is. Nobody wants to go anywhere if they're not getting alcohol. And like you said, this is not just a, a, a story only for women. I know, and here's a great story since you're in Seattle. There was a gentleman who found my book in a little bookstore out in Seattle. He's a merchant marine. He took the book with him out to sea, found me later on Twitter, and said it changed his life, and he's been sober ever since. So men love the story, I think, because there are more women in the book. But and it makes it non-threatening for them is what I think is helpful. But what you know, this whole alcohol issue and the health ramifications and the toll on society, the billions of dollars lost productivity. With I know out there in Seattle, you guys have all the tech companies and Google and Amazon and all you know all of this going on but if your workforce is self-medicating if your workforce is affected by mental health you know I was reading an article talking about the mental health within the tech industry so let's talk about that for just a second people say oh depression and anxiety is such a huge issue and I'm going to tell you I'm also a registered nurse, and so I've worked in ERs and psych wards for 25 years, and I've been sober 30 years. So I've seen a lot, and a lot of the mental health is gets diagnosed by people are drinking heavily. So I want to say to people, you know, there's a 65% increase in antidepressant use. 
But how many of those people run to the doctor, get antidepressants, are heavily drinking or even drinking every day? If you're going to consume a depressant, wouldn't it make sense if you're suffering from depression to eliminate the obvious, which would be alcohol? Eliminate that first and see if your depression isn't alleviated before you start on the medication trail. Because I can tell you from working with many people over 30 years in recovery and then working in the hospital, the people come to the hospital, the doctors never really ask them about their drinking. They go ahead, they prescribe antidepressants, the person continues to drink, they continue to not feel well, they come back to the hospital, they don't feel well, the doctors order another, prescribe another medication on top of the one they're already on. And and this is what's happening out there. And I've seen it and it's getting worse and worse and worse that people are being diagnosed uh, bipolar, with anxiety, depression, and often their real issue is underlying substance abuse. And these mental health diagnoses are getting tossed around. People are getting medicated and they're not getting better. Their lives continue to deteriorate. So I hope people will look at the real, I mean, here's the thing that will change your life. Honesty, be honest with yourself. I would have never gotten sober when I did, had I not been honest with myself and that my drinking was progressing, I am very grateful back in 1989 when I got sober, I never went to the doctor. Thank you, God, that I never went to the doctor or I could have maybe ended up on medication and my life would have been very different than it is right now. So I chose to, I knew a little bit about recovery because my mother By the time I was 21, she finally got sober, and I saw her change. She ended up in rehab and then went to a 12-step program, and she morphed into this amazing woman, the mother that I always wished that I had had as a child. But I saw her get well, and so I was scared when my drinking started to not look right and my mother started to say, hey, do you think you're drinking a little too much? So I chose to listen to her instead of get defensive about it. And it was life-changing, just that little bit of self-honesty. So that that can be life-changing to say, you know what, before I run to the doctor and go this medication route, am I being honest with myself? Am I drinking every day? Am I drinking five days a week? I can tell you when I got sober, I was still not a daily drinker. And like I said, I didn't have any consequences, but it was how the alcohol impacted me emotionally, mentally. I was starting to lose it. Um, You know, just couldn't really get my act together as far as getting through college. Um, When you're in college for 10 years, there's usually a reason why you're not finishing things. When I had a brief marriage at 19, so, and, and I married a raging alcoholic, bad choices. So I had all of those sorts of isms that I could have rationalized and justified but I had to look at the reason of why I was making bad choices, and it was the booze, if that makes sense, Kate. Oh, 
incredible sense. And, you know, just listening to you and knowing how you are so open and vulnerable in this book, Raising the Bottom, I feel this is just so illuminating and a necessary book because alcohol and alcoholism in in our society is so rampant that we owe it to ourselves to be informed, be educated, because this is, uh, with the stories, We no one has to come and say, you know, you've got a problem. We can identify ourselves in one of the varying characters, the personalities that you share. I That was my hope, as I tried to pick women. I mean, I have everything from in the back of the book. There are 10 stories, as you know. And so I have everything in there from a board certified surgeon who also had a PhD in neurophysiology to a Nebraska farm girl. So there's a plethora of women and one of them is and and men. There's a few men in there. These are people, though, that their lives, some of them, like the surgeon, her drinking looked like a lot of women and men's drinking. They are functioning in their careers. Many of them are are very successful people, but they come home every night and they start drinking or they stop at work after work and they start drinking and the drinking goes on and on. And just because they're doing it maybe socially with other people or the moms start drinking while they're cooking dinner and justifying, well, I worked hard. This is my reward. When we start rewarding ourselves with booze, we're already entering into an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, but we have normalized it in our culture that it's okay to reward yourself with alcohol. It's okay to make that the end of the day finale as opposed to maybe some other healthy coping skill like take a walk, listen to meditation, um, do some journaling to get out maybe your feelings from the day, things like that. Call a friend, call your mother, call your therapist. (laughs) I mean, these are a lot healthier things to do than to use alcohol. But it's just, they say the new alcoholic is a young woman wearing designer pumps and carrying diaper bags. And I believe it. You know, we're seeing a lot of young women, and like I said, working in the hospital, it is so frightening the number of young women that are coming into the hospital with um, their livers are already. I've seen more yellow women in the last six years than I have probably in the 25 before. So that's pretty scary because the alcohol companies, don't forget, are spending billions of dollars. They are targeting women in particular, and their marketing efforts are working. They're coming out with all of these new lighter, low-carb wines and seltzers and whatnot, and women are flocking to it. So here again, we've got young women. They're ignoring the cancer risk. They're ignoring the toll this is going to take on their relationships, their marriages, their, with their significant other, and their children. And it's disturbing to me because, like I said, I was raised by that fun mom, the drinking mom. It's not fun. 
And as a child, I, I can say that now because I was one of those. And I'd much rather have a sober mom who could have taught me some coping skills and skills for my life. So, you know, I, I feel grateful. I raised twin boys and they're now, you know, older and on their own. But they saw something different in me. I remember at about 10 years old, one of my sons, I'm at the kitchen sink and I'm doing whatever. I don't know. I was always in the kitchen. And he said, Mom, how come you're not like those other moms? And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, I don't know. You're just different. You don't, how come you don't go sit on the porch with them? <laughs> I knew what he meant. And, and he meant like, why aren't you in that posse of women that are sitting on decks drinking all night? And that's just not what I wanted to role model. I'm so grateful I was sober. My sons got to see me go back to school several times, obtain degrees, write books, Raising the Bottom is my fifth book. Um, so I was doing other things, and I was able to teach them coping skills. I know there's a huge genetic predisposition with alcoholism it's in my family. Um, my siblings have been affected. My mother, of course. I know she had family members in uh, like her mother's sisters, and, you know, there were alcoholics all over the place. But whether my sons will have that genetic predisposition, they may. But I can tell you this. I know that I've at least role modeled behavior. They've seen recovery as possible, and they also do have coping skills. So when they would call me from college or even as young children, I could say, well, how are you going to handle that? What are you going to do? And listen to, and, and a lot of times they would say, especially as adults, I'm going to do yoga. They find um, my one son journals. They both play golf. So they have other outlets than running to the bar and drinking alcohol, because that's why we drink. Most alcoholics or people that are even problem drinkers, we're drinking to self-medicate feelings because we don't know how to cope with those feelings. So I had this crazy childhood, an abusive father. Like I just said, I had no coping skills. So when I found a few beers at 12, 13 years old, and you drink those and you realize, wow, I don't feel scared anymore because I was always scared as a child with my father and, and my mom. You just never knew what you were going to get. So when you realize this substance now makes you feel different, then you want to have more of it. And this is what spurs drinking. So, you know, there's a lot of people walking around with a lot of childhood trauma. Trauma is a huge factor. Um, unhealed emotions, any kind of, of trauma can lead someone to trigger an addiction. Um, some people just have had great childhoods and great parents, but they find for whatever reason, they never felt like they belong. They never feel good enough. People have a lot of social anxiety because a lot of that goes back to there's this self-centered society that we think everybody's focused on us and they're not. But we drink. I know many, many adults and many of my recovering friends all said they could not go to a party without drinking before getting to the party because they never felt okay in their own skin. And for some people, like I said, there's reasons about having low self-esteem. They've had 
parents that abandoned them or whatever. They've had abuse in their past. And there's other people that had parents that did everything right, but for whatever reason, they just never felt okay. And so they turned to alcohol. So we never know what that trigger can be. And you're saying, Lisa, I think this is so critical to understand that genetic predisposition, because in, I don't know that enough is ever said about it, but having that awareness at least it then can be a cautionary situation. Like if we've come from that, just be aware we may not want to use alcohol or medications to any great degree. Well, that's exactly right, Kate. I mean, nobody sets out to be an alcoholic, but it happens so slowly. And keep in mind what listeners need to understand. Alcoholism is a progressive, fatal, uncurable disease. It can be arrested. Usually, that means abstinence. So there's the saying amongst recovering people, once you're a pickle, you don't get to be a cucumber anymore. (laughs) So that kind of explains alcoholism. Once I'm an alcoholic, I'm not going to go back to being a normal drinker. Mm -hmm. And they say that the disease is marching on. So even though I've been sober 30 years, if I would start drinking tomorrow, it would be like I never stopped. So I would probably pick up at a point that would be devastating in a few short months. I would probably be drinking uncontrollably. So my, it's not curable, but my solution has been abstinence. And I I work the 12 steps and I've had an amazing life as a result of just axing alcohol. And most people think they're terrified. If, If the thought of giving up alcohol terrifies you, you probably already have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Because people run around saying, oh, I'm a social drinker, I'm a social drinker, but they're drinking every day. And they're drinking three, four, five drinks every day. That's not social drinking. That's segueing into alcoholism. That's not normal drinking to drink. A normal social drinker is someone who can maybe drink a few times a month. They don't think about it. I mean, if you find yourself sitting in your in your office or taking your morning jog, this is another big red flag. Uh, People that get up every morning and jog regardless how bad they feel to prove they're not an alcoholic. A lot of women especially do that. They figure, I can't have a problem if I get up and work out every day. Men do that too. So these are the things that, like I said, it's just really not that normal, but we, our society has normalized it. I mean, it's in the culture, Companies, they promote alcohol, drinking, you know, as a way to bring the team together and whatnot. And really, it's so destructive to our health, our mental health, our well-being, that I just want to encourage people to rethink the drinks and say, do I, is this really, ask yourself, what benefit am I getting from alcohol? It causes cancer. It might make me feel good for a minute, but then I feel awful the next morning. I don't remember sometimes what I'm saying. I have my relationships are all chaotic because they say also that our emotional growth stops when we picked up the drink. So if you're someone who started drinking heavily in high school, it explains why parents are so insecure in their parenting and how some women, they have like their friend groups and all this nonsense. It's like they never really outgrew the mentality of how they acted in high school. 
that just because you're an adult doesn't mean you always act like an adult. And so our children aren't getting the tools they need because they don't have the role models that they need because this alcohol is like the the one big focus in everybody's lives. And parents, you miss a lot of nuances in, in your children and whatnot when you're not fully present, when your focus is the next party and the next social event. You miss a lot of things. And I know I was able to help my sons in many ways. From the time they're little, you pick up on little fears and insecurities that they have because I wasn't drinking. I was present and I was able to talk to them about that and and bring them out and, and show them ways to handle and cope with their little feelings from a very young age. And this is what we need to do. But if you're so busy uh, worried about your next party, your next social event, you miss it. You miss the boat and, and the sorrow that so many parents feel when they wait and get sober in their 40s and 50s, that regret of missing their children's upbringing. We don't get those days back. We don't get a second chance. So for that reason alone, I think it's, it's worth it for, for women and men to rethink the drinks and really ask yourself, is this who I want to be? And you are so incredible at writing this message, of, about articulating it, as you do with your uh, videos on your website and sharing this with us this morning. Website. Let's mention your website, Lisa. Raisingthebottom.com. My book is available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. Any, If you prefer to buy from independents, any of them can order it if they don't have it. Um, again, it, it's wherever books are sold. It's also available on Audible because there's, the audio version is now available. So it's, it's widely, wherever books are sold, you can find it. And do find it because just with the short time we've had together this morning and what you've shared with us, Lisa, we can see how insidious alcohol is in our society, thus in our individual lives. Somehow we're all touched by it. And it's so important for us to have this awareness and and especially women because we... T- talked in general about it being a carcinogen, but women's physiology is different and the alcohol affects us differently. We cannot drink as much as we think as our male counterparts can. So we can get heavily affected by it very quickly. Right. Right. Absolutely. That's exactly right. So just be careful, be aware, and don't lie to yourself. If you feel like it could be the alcohol, it probably is. So just Nip it in the bud, raise your bottom, save yourself all kind of self-manufactured H-E double toothpicks. I mean, we <laughs> don't need to go there. Yes. And and really, as well, you know, thinking about this at a young age, you know, we certainly you've shared about how having parents that drink, that's a model for their kids. Maybe that's why we see this binge drinking going on at college. And that's a, a critical time. It's so unhealthy on so many levels, but it's really devastating for these young lives, these young brains to be so impacted at that time, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, there's nothing scarier than a teenage alcoholic. Kids are make poor decisions anyway, because, you know, males 
their their prefrontal cortex lobe does not develop until they're probably fully developed until they're 25. So alcohol, it it dumbs down. I mean, it goes to and hits that prefrontal cortex. That's the computer, our rational brain, and it's taken over by the limbic symptoms. The amygdala in the brain is like the reptilian part of our brain. And so that's why so many poor decisions are made when people have alcohol on board. And the other, like like you just said, Kate, it's really sad. I mean, you didn't used to see, you go to a three-year-old or four-year-old's birthday party, and it's all about the drinking. You see the wine and the drinks. When Why are we stealing those children's innocence? That why aren't there more cupcakes and balloons than there are wine bottles and beer bottles at a child's birthday party? And so these are the same parents that say, no, we don't have a drinking problem. We're just being social. Well, really? You mean if you don't have a drinking problem, then why can't you have a little child's birthday party without getting boozed up? And so this is all these kids see from the time they're toddlers. And then when the children are 13, 14, and they start drinking and the parents have a mess on their hands, then they wonder why. So it's like, come on, people. I mean, I'm not against alcohol, but I am against alcoholism. I am against this normalization of alcoholism. And I just want to say, if you can't save your drinking to when you're with adults a few times a month or whatever, then, you know, it might be getting too much. So we've just got to call it what it is and stop saying that we're normal drinkers when we're drinking every day. And you do that so eloquently, so uh, directly with so many stories and uh, the book, which is Raising the Bottom, the website, Raising the Bottom. Lisa Boucher, I am just so in awe of you and so grateful you've been doing the work that you're doing and that you've spent time with us this morning. Thank you for having me, Kate. It was a pleasure. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Lisa Boucher and Sunday Morning Magazine with JWO and a focus on Medicare. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate you're sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Click on the On Air tab, then the Podcast tab, and look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of heightened awareness to all that goes on around us. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.